In case you haven't noticed, it is Easter Sunday. Today we shout, Alleluia! Alleluia! And we call out to one another, He is risen! And we can smell the flowers and enjoy their colors. And it's a gorgeous sunny day that makes it so much easier to be joyful than the hailstorm we had on Tuesday. Today we sing loudly and we ring our bells, and rightly so, because we have been waiting for this. In non-church time, Easter is a happy holiday. The Easter bunny, jelly beans, Easter egg hunts, ham. Maybe some thought about new beginnings. But mostly, out there, this is a light holiday. But in church time, Easter begins in a graveyard, a place of death and silence, decay, a place that may be peaceful but not hopeful, much like our world. Even on the lightest holiday, all it takes is a swipe of the finger on your phone to take us back in contact with violence and death and decay. It's, all, it's right there. We'll celebrate today, but what about tomorrow? What does it mean to preach the resurrection in a world so marked by death and decay? Is Easter Sunday just a Band-Aid or an opiate, something that takes our pain away for a little while? Are we here just in denial, shutting our eyes to the chaos and pretending it doesn't exist for today? pretending everything's good? Or are we happy, clappy, sappy Christians who always sing in major key and just put on a front and force others to do the same? Is that what today is about? No. We preach the resurrection not in spite of the harshness of the world, not in denial of the deep ways this world is contaminated by evil and in love with death, not because we never feel sadness or fear or rage or despair, but precisely because we do. We stand with the prophet Ezekiel in the Valley of Bones and John in the tomb that still smells like rot and with Mary in the very middle of the graveyard. And there we proclaim, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. My friends, in the midst of everything we read on the news, everything our church has walked through in our world in the past few years, everything we fear, everything we've lost in every place of emptiness and despair, we have hope today. Hope that does not disappoint. We have hope, real hope, because Jesus is alive. I'd like to draw out three strands of Christian hope for us this morning, hope born of the resurrection. First, we have hope because in the resurrection, God's love proved stronger than death. Not just death. Dana's sermon on Friday did a great job of drawing out all the evil that converged on the cross. Personal sin, evils of empire, oppression, injustice, state-sponsored violence, betrayal, idolatry, greed, you name it, it all converged on Jesus in his death on the cross. Scripture will not let us turn a blind eye to the fact that you and I participate in that stuff too. You and I were part of it. And in Jesus, God faced it all. The very worst, you name it, the very worst the world had to offer. All those things you see on your phone, the things that keep you awake at night, 
all of it. God the Son faced it head on, and he took it on himself. I've been reflecting a bit this week, well, more than a bit, on Jesus. (laughs) But I'm reflecting on how in his humanity, Jesus the man surrendered to death, trusting that God the Father would resurrect him. Kind of like an enormous trust fall. Would God the Father catch him? Would he die and rot a fool? I've had this picture in my mind's eye preparing for this sermon of flashing back to the Garden of Eden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it's twisted and rotted. All evil and corruption infecting the world through its roots, which go down, down, down into the very core of the earth and seep out everywhere. I imagine Jesus nailed to that rotten tree. And as he dies, I imagine his spirit falling down, 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 down into the depths of the earth. I imagine a tether connecting him, the son, to the father. And he falls down, down, down to reach where the very root of evil lies, where as far down as those roots go, where their souls all twisted up in it, crying out for rescue. The son goes down, down, down until he can't possibly go further. Will the length of the tether run out? Will he hit the bottom and will he hear the tether snap and fall to his doom? No. The tether of love between father and son holds true. For I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is convinced of that because Jesus already tested it out. Jesus descended to the very bottom as low as it can go, and he grabbed the toxic, twisted roots of sin and evil and death in our world, and he yanked them out. That tree is dying. The words of Jeremiah that we read this morning, God speaks to those scattered in exile, sort of like the disciples are when we meet them in the garden. And he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. That word kindness is the word hesed, Hebrew word. That's kind of hard to translate. Um, Often you'll see it as loving kindness. It's covenant love. And the translation I read in one of the commentaries this week really grabbed me. It was unbreakable connection. God's unbreakable connection. The Father's love for the Son proved to be an unbreakable tether, and God's love for us is the same. In the resurrection, this commentator reminds us, we see that eternal life is not a reward for a life well-lived or faith properly declared. Rather, God forges a relationship of love with us that is so strong, even death can't cancel it out. We have hope today, real hope, because God's love is unbreakable, unshakable, stronger than death or hell or any principality and power you can dream up. God's love never fails. Alleluia. Alleluia. I'm going to conduct you, apparently, today. Second, we have hope because the resurrected Lord responds to our tears with his presence. I'm indebted to the African-American Bible commentary, True to Our Native Land, for pointing out to me this week how John's version of the resurrection is the only one out of the four Gospels that mentions crying. In verse 11, Mary's crying outside the tomb. 
She peers into the tomb through her tears. In verse 13, the angels ask her, why are you crying? And in verse 15, Jesus himself shows up and asks her the same thing. Now, the other two disciples had been right there. They'd seen the empty tomb and the linen strips. They'd all figured out the body wasn't there. The most reasonable explanation was somebody took the body, but then who would take a body and take the stuff off of it first and leave it there? So Peter sees and he goes back home. The other disciple, presumably John, sees and believes. Somehow that was enough for him, even though he has to keep working out exactly what it means. But he too goes home. Mary stays and weeps. She and the other women stayed near the cross when Jesus was crucified. She stayed near to anoint his broken body. She stayed near to this place of emptiness even when she couldn't see through her tears. She stayed and lamented and wept. And Jesus shows up. Why are you crying? This is not a condemnation. As we've seen through this time of Lent in John, Jesus often asks a question or makes a statement to draw out faith. And he does the same thing. Here, he starts with Mary's tears. And at first, she doesn't recognize him. Grief clouds our vision sometimes. Jesus asks her the same question the angels do and one more. Who is it that you're seeking? And if we've been reading the book of John, we flash back to Jesus' first words in the book of John. When two disciples of John the Baptist start following this strange new rabbi, and Jesus sees them following and asks them, what is it that you're seeking? Who is it that you seek? What is it that you're seeking? This is a discipleship question. But again, Mary doesn't recognize it. She has no hope for more because she's looking for something that's dead and gone, not for the risen Lord, until Jesus speaks her name, Mary. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. And with that single name, Mary is called through her tears up, out into resurrection life. Her faith in the risen Lord is born out of her tears of lament. On Friday, for Good Friday, one of the things we offered was an interactive Stations of the Cross. And the one station, which was right here, remembered the women weeping at the cross. And here, worshipers could write out their laments on index cards and place them in a basket. Uh, kids could write things they were sad about or draw a picture instead. They did. There were a lot of laments in that basket. I read through them yesterday as I was preparing this sermon. A lot of them started just simply, why? Which is another way of saying, God, where are you in this? Maybe as joyful as it is this morning, you're a little bit like Mary, feeling like you're looking into an empty tomb and trying to figure out where in the world is Jesus in this. Where is Jesus with these school shootings? Where is Jesus with the crisis in the church? Where is Jesus in my marriage? Where is Jesus with my kids? Jesus, where are you? I decided to place the basket of laments here this morning. Right here. You can say hallelujah to that. They're here in the middle of the resurrection flowers. 
They are tears in the midst of the flowers that cry out to the risen Lord, hear us. Rise up, O Lord. Respond to our tears. We are weeping in the graveyard. Come and find us and speak our name so we see where you're working and have hope. If you lament today, lament. And then listen for the voice of Jesus that speaks your name. The flowers will grow, even in the graveyard. We have hope, real hope, because the resurrected Lord responds to our tears with his presence. And third, we have hope because resurrection life cannot be stopped. It's done. It's finished. The toxic tree is on its way out. The power of the resurrection that starts in the quiet and the dark begins to roll, roll, roll. It gathers steam. It spreads from Mary and the other women to the 11 disciples, to others who'd followed Jesus, to Pentecost, to Judea, Sumeria, the ends of the earth, and even finally to us. It cannot be thwarted or stamped out. It is even now making all things new. As we proclaimed on Good Friday, let the whole world see and know that things which were cast down are being raised up, things which had grown old are being made new, and that all things are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made, your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. If death couldn't hold him, if Satan couldn't destroy him, what else is left? Nothing. Today, as Christians, we stand not to just say, hey, feel better someday. We stand in the very places in our world that seem most marked by death, and there we proclaim, he is risen. Amen. Death has no power here. We shake our fists at the forces and the culture of death, and we say, you don't get to win. These are your dying breaths. We shall not die but live. We shake our fists at the gun violence. We shake our fists at the news stories. We shake our fists at the disordered loves running straight through our own hearts, straight through our own community, straight out through Highwood and the Heartland and Congress and the Oval Office, God knows, straight through the entire world God so loves. And we say, you don't get to win. Jesus already won. He is risen. And his resurrection life is unstoppable. Sometimes we Christians get a reputation for being only focused on the next life, which is important. But sometimes we think we don't have to bother with this one. But on the contrary, the hope of resurrection to new life is exactly what gives us hope now. We know a world is coming in which there will be no more sin, injustice, sickness, pain, or death. We know what we were made for. We know Jesus is alive now, interceding for us, bringing about his kingdom and bringing all things under his rule. We have the spirit now, working in our hearts and in the world. Commentator Dennis Edwards writes this, our lament over the conditions of the world should push us toward attitudes and actions that anticipate resurrection, that give a foretaste of glory divine. So we have hope to carry on, to keep praying, to keep lamenting, to keep working and worshiping, to keep on keeping on, and to rest up along the way, because we know that the power of the resurrection cannot be stopped. The Lord will return to judge the living and the dead, 
And as someone has said, the wicked will cease from troubling and the weary will be at rest. He is risen. And the power of the resurrection will make all things new. We have hope, O church. Hope based not in human leaders, or a good sermon, or a bad one, or our own ability to be steadfast. Hope based not in our institutions, thank heavens. Our hope is in the risen Lord, and he will not fail. But will he? Hope is hard. There was a wonderful article yesterday by Esau Macaulay, a priest in our diocese, where he talks about how he's never been a fan of hope because it's a demanding emotion that insists on changing you. Hope pulls you out of yourself and into the world, forcing you to believe more is possible. Hate is a much less insistent master. It asks you only to loathe. It's quite happy to have you to itself and doesn't ask you to go anywhere. Despair can do that too. Hope feels risky. It might feel safer to look on the not-so-sunny side, but the risen Lord invites us this morning to look up. Look up from your tears, through your tears. Look up from your phones. Look up out of those empty tombs. Hear the Lord calling your name and look up. Look up, seeking the places resurrection life is bursting forth in the world. Look up to where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. Grief is real, but oh church, Jesus is too. Oh church, tender little church, in our own pockets of graveyard, the places where the flesh of this church body feels gone or decayed or lost or broken. Hear the risen Lord calling our name. Redeemer. And look up. Look up, O Church of the Redeemer. Plant your laments among the Easter flowers. Dare to hope for resurrection life now. New life breaking through from the resurrection that is to come. For he is risen. He is risen indeed. His love is unbreakable. His compassion unfathomable. And his resurrection life unstoppable. So look up. Alleluia. 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 Thanks be to God.